Welcome to the Nia Jochuan Podcast. My name is Isaac Kamins. This is a bi-weekly podcast where my friend Jess O'Brien and I discuss internal martial arts, qigong, and meditation. Uh, this week we discuss the Shingy Master Lee Jung Q. First we discuss a famous incident that Lee was involved in with um, Han Musha and a couple other real famous Shingy guys uh, where Han takes on a Russian strongman. Uh, it's one of the more sort of iconic stories about Shingy. Uh, then we take a look at uh, Lee jung book from the 1920s, uh, his book on Shingy, which discusses the five elements in the linking form. We talk a little bit about his training method, but mostly we discuss how he was involved in these um, martial arts associations at the time that were that were geared towards promoting martial arts, publishing books, that sort of thing. Uh, then we discuss different forms of dissolving in Neigong, which include internal dissolving, external dissolving, dissolving outside of yourself, and a few other things uh, that we didn't catch in the first season when we talked about dissolving. Enjoy the episode. Thanks for listening, and take care. Welcome to the Neija Chuan Podcast with Isaac and Jess. Today we're going to talk about the Shingi master Li Jianchu. Li Jianchu is another of these older generation masters who were born in the 1800s and learned around the turn of the century. So they're part of this really this flowering of internal martial arts. And they're also the teachers of Liu Hongjie, the uh, teacher that we spoke a lot about in the first season, obviously. Um, Li Jianchu, let's see, his birth and death dates. He's born in 1881 and he lives quite a long life until 1956. So he experiences, you know, everything from the Qing Dynasty, the fall of the dynasty, the New Republic, and then uh, the People's Republic. So he lives through, wow, that's actually quite a stretch there, so into the 70s. Yeah. Um, so one, the first thing we want to talk about, about Master Li, Li Jianchu, is that he comes from an interesting lineage. Um, and he, you know, he's part of this, main, this stream of Xingyi teachers that are, are some of the most famous um, so we first ran across his name in an old article, um, probably around 1986, right, Isaac? I believe that's correct, yeah. Fighting Arts International. So this, this old article identifies uh, Master Li Jianchu's father as a teacher of Liu Hongjie. So I'm getting the impression that those guys were both teachers to Master Liu, because he's about 20 years older. Um, so And then the father's even older yet, so he's he's hanging out with these guys and learning Xingyi from them, I suspect, both of them to some degree. Probably, yeah, probably. Mostly the, from the son. Right, probably the father was around, but you know the son was doing most of the teaching. Right, and they come from the lineage of yet another guy, Li Tsunyi, who's very famous in the martial arts world. But we're not going to go too deep right. into him today, but that's another name that um, bears a lot of investigation, a great Xingyi master. Um, so, but today we're going to continue talking about Li Jianchu. Um, so, one of the first things I wanted to touch on here, um, he's part of a famous event where uh, martial artists were getting engaging in challenge matches in China back in the old days. So, we found we dug up an article here. It says in September 1918, Li Sunyi, together with Zhang Zaodong, went to Beijing with their disciples to take part in the 10,000 countries martial arts great competition where Han Mushad defeated the famous Russian strongman Kang Tier. So this is a famous martial arts story that's over 100 years old now, and it's where the Bagwan Xingyi groups got together to go up against a foreign fighter, probably more than one, 
and they sought out competition against uh, you know these these challenge matches that were going on around China at that time. So I think this is part of why Xing Yi and Bagua become famous around that time period. I'm suspecting. Yeah, I think this was part of that uh, movement to sort of promote martial arts. You know that ha- that started. We talked about a little bit about these martial art associations that you know started in the 1920s or so, tens, twenties, and their purpose was to promote martial arts both as a way of sort of national pride, but also you know sort of health and physical education. Um, and so these these tours that they would do often included uh, demonstrations and ch- you know tournaments and challenge matches and things and so this was i think probably the most famous incident because of this big russian guy and you know so right so in 1918 this this russian group is going around china putting on these exhibition matches where they'll fight local fighters and i think this is probably a common thing around that time period where you know fighters would go around people gather around bet on the fights you know i mean this is this type of thing happens all over the world still does yep exactly and so it, this so what we found out is that Master Li Jian Chu. We ran across an article that said he was part of this traveling party of internal martial artists that went to challenge the Russian strongman. Um, so where did we dig that up from the uh, from the Xingyi Boxing Manual? Right, and and that we talked about last time. He also studied Bagua with Zhang Zhaodong, so there was possibly this could have been you know where they. Where he met him or something, you know. That, yeah. That, but he had that connection where he it was his Shingy teacher and his Bagua teacher, kind of putting right. on this event. Right. So he was learning from both guys that put on that that were went to this challenge match and brought their their top disciples with them. So here in the Shingy boxing manual by Jin Yun Ting in the back, um, into the biography section. Um, it talks about how uh, Li Chunyi accepted the invitation in September 1918. He and Zhang Zhaodong led more than 10 of his students, including Li Jianqiu and Han Musha, to attend the World Martial Arts Competition in Beijing, where they defeated the arrogant Russian strongman Kang Tier. So uh, there's always a, you know, he's always portrayed as like arrogant or, you know, a belligerent and a braggart who was uh, cutting a swath through the Chinese martial artists at the time. Right, well, that, that's sort of the Pulp Fiction version of it, or, you know, the, the uh, Hollywood version, but then there's the more sort of subdued version, I think, in the Bagua Journal, they talk about it, where there was a bit more respect, I think, Yeah. after the fight wasn't quite so dismissive of the whole thing. But. Right, right. So, returning to the story of Li Jianqiu, you know, he joins in with his two teachers, his Bhagwan Shingi masters, and goes on this trip to Beijing to to get into this fight. And uh, so I don't know if Li Jianqiu actually gets into any of the real fighting, though. Unfortunately, his name doesn't come up in the actual action. I mean, yeah, we don't know. But I would assume if he was on the trip, he was doing something. So maybe he fought, I mean, I'd like to think he fought in an exhibition match. Maybe he maybe fought, maybe he did a demonstration. Or, you know, maybe he did a yeah. forms demo, yeah. You know? Who knows, you know, I mean, it's... But, you know, for the story, it would be cool if he did have yeah, a part in the fight. Great, but... But, you know, a lot of that stuff didn't get recorded in the annals of time, and especially hasn't been translated. There could be a lot more about him that we don't know that would be cool to find out. Um... So just to, to sit, finish the story of the strongman, 
Um, Lee John Chu's friend and classmate, Han Musha, is the one who fights him. So we pulled from an article, this is from Bagua Journal, I believe. Um, in 1918, a Russian strongman named Kang Tier was traveling around the mainland, setting up platform boxing matches and challenging Chinese boxers. Previous to his arrival in Beijing, the Russian was undefeated at platform boxing. He arrived in Beijing around the beginning of September and was beating the Chinese badly in every boxing match he set up. It was as if there was no good fighters in China at all. This was a great loss of face for the Chinese, and many Chinese were angry with the Russians. So that's at the, that's at the point where Zhang Zhaodong and Li Tsunyi get together. They're already in their 60s, but uh, they were angry with what this Russian was doing. So they got together and took their best students, including Li Jianchu. And they went to Beijing to fight. They arrived in Beijing on September 12, 1918, and issued a challenge to the Russian. Evidently, the Russian had only been fighting mediocre boxers, and the Russians knew it. The fights had been fixed. When they heard that these boxers had come from Tianjin to challenge them, the Russians put a lot of pressure on the chief of police to keep them away. Mm. So it sounds like this was uh, something of a setup. Like these matches were actually more like wrestling, you know, like pro wrestling. Where right, right, right. It was sort of a outcome was... Or they just were selective same. about who they mm. picked. So they were picking know. tomato cans that he, could, yeah, that he could knock out. Yeah. So the second thing we wanted to talk about Li Jianchu is his experience as... Uh, founding member of some of these early martial arts societies that we've been running across. Um, so from Lee's book, we have his his own foreword here. He writes a little bit about Xing Yi and uh, his experience. But the one thing I wanted to pull out here is that in 1912, he lists a number of guys who who formed together, including famous teachers like Li Tsunyi, Zhang Zhaodong, Han Muxia, who we talked about. Right, the same ago. guys we just the exact guys about. were at the yeah. fight. Yeah. And a couple other guys launched the Warriors Association in Tianjin. So this is 1912, right at the end of the Qing Dynasty. So that takes place in Tianjin. And then the Esteeming the Martial Society in Beijing. So in that same year, these two premier martial arts organizations are formed. And I think a lot of the books we've been running across, like you were commenting on that, they seem right. to be from the same group. Yeah, it's like a network of martial arts associations or something that are all working to promote stuff so they were publishing books they were putting on events they were you know promoting teachers and they were going to challenge matches going to challenge matches beating up on russians right so the, the match against the russian is eight years after the forming of the esteeming the martial society in beijing hmm. um and so this book by li jian chu is uh, 1920 looks like it's published right and i think by that time the these you know the it had expanded beyond those original two. So there were, now they had, you know, chapters in, you know, Shanghai and right. other places too. So the, so the groups are starting to spread. It sounds like the fight against the Russian strongman might have been a big promotion because in 1918 that happens. Then For the book sure. comes out two years later. Right. Yeah, maybe they built up some more, you know, name, and I name think of they, I think up. they were, you know, they. I think they also were probably, you know, published Sun Ludong's book because he mentions it in the, you know, right, he, he calls out Sun Ludong's book in here, and then there's the one by Jin Ting we talked about last time. There's a wave of these books published, right? And it makes sense that it seems like it's the same sort of network of folks that are doing it. From here, we're going to look more at the Xingyi Manual of Li Jianchu, published in 1920. So, Master Li, you know, he's one of the teachers of Liu Hongjie, he brought out this fairly 
seminal text. It's one of the best Shingy books I've read from the old days. Um, so there's a lot of stuff in here. There's history, there's prefaces and forwards from other important people. Um, and there's a lot of theory and there's also step-by-step -step instruction on techniques. But I wanted to start at the very beginning here. Okay, so it says, the Shingy boxing art comes from the Zen master Damo of the Northern Wei Dynasty, roughly, you know, the year 300 to 500 area. Wow. So they're, they're crediting Shingy as being created by this famous Buddhist you know, leader who helped originate Buddhism right. in China itself in the year 300 and something. Taking, How could a martial art be that taking, old? That, taking that's it all insane. the way back. I mean, is it really from him or what are they trying to say here? Maybe influenced by his teachings? I don't know. But also the, the antiquity is important. Right. I think, you know, that's the, the um, you know, the thing about things being tested and old and been ancient right you know that gives it some credibility that if you say you know i'm connected to this that's why lin people you know do their lineage because it's like if you say i'm connected to something that's been around for a thousand years it gives it some credibility next he mentions that the teachings were obtained by yue fei of the song dynasty around the 900 to 1200 area right and that's sort of when the modern xingyi quote unquote you know begins is this concept of, it says here they merge the spear and boxing techniques establishing a method of teaching his officers called Xing Yi shape and intent yeah I mean and who knows what if that had any actual relation to what the modern you know what Xing Yi Chen does but I think that was the kind of origins of like you know merging those two arts to create one you know thing and, and Probably was sort of like the way Tai Chi uh, didn't have the name Tai Chi until it became popular, and mm. then everybody started right. calling their thing Tai Chi. Right, it may not have been called this exact thing at the, the time. The, I think originally it was something called like you know five element fist or something. You know, like, Perhaps, it, yeah. like, like it had a different name. Uh, well, and, another idea is the, the way Ja Sancho that you trained back in the day. Right, we talked about last season. Well, that's the family art, supposedly of General Yue Fei. Of his fan, yeah. So that would have been the thing that he learned as a child, or whatever. Right. And then Xing Yi Quan was the thing that he developed for right. his officers, based Not, on his family art. Right, and the combination of that with the spear technique for the military. So again, it's like I don't think that's necessarily historically true. I think people have debunked the historical, actual, linear connection. But again, there's something about it on a mythological level or whatever. Something about Yue Fei's well, approach to combat relates to the way right. Xingyi's practice. It's probably a, a, con a conglomeration of multiple people, right? So yeah, the, the yeah, same it's way they see you know, guy. It's Lao's, a time period, right? So the same way Lao Tzu was probably a you know a bunch of people. Or, or at least a bunch of people contributed to right. it. You know? Yeah, exactly. That this is, you know, a bunch of people sort of to make a right. single story. Right. This happened, something happened during UEFA's army philosophy approach to fighting that relates to the way we do Xing Yi on some level. It's hard to say. How well, much, I think that but was there's the, something there. I think that was the merging of hand to hand combat with spear combat. I mean,. Well, yeah, because I mean, the officers maybe they needed a hand-to-hand -hand system for disciplining the troops, and you can't necessarily use the spear. Again, <laughs> I have you know, there's no way to verify. There's a lot of ways, you could but think the of it. the story, you know, the story that Bruce gives is that 
it was developed. So he developed Eagle Claw for the he UFA. He developed Eagle Claw for the enlisted men mm-hmm. and Shingy for the officers. Mm-hmm. And that in order to become an officer, you had to beat your superior. Ah, I think they're placed. Right. So like that's how, you know, so you, mm-hmm. you had to use the, the inferior art to beat someone who had right. the, in, the superior right. art. And then you were able to go to that next now, level. Now, then you use that to hold your own position. Which, you know, in down. theory keeps the level of the officers, you know, at the highest level possible because if you you lose your you know if you lose your spunk then the next guy coming up will take you out moving forward under the nagung principles today we wanted to talk a little bit about the other aspects of dissolving um so there's there's x there's x outer dissolving is what we talked about all last season in the uh opening the energy gates book but as you move on there's more to it so what what other aspect? What other types of dissolving are included in the system, Isaac? Initially, you dissolve your physical body and you go down, right? So that's what we call. That's the beginning practice of energy gates, right? You're just so that's outer dissolving. You dissolve away from yourself, like down, sort of yeah, down and out, right? down and out, sort of drifting away from you, so the chi breaks up, kind of. Yeah, and then there's things where you go deeper into the body. Um, you know, beyond just the surface, but you're still basically going down and out. You're, you know, you're just and that all falls under outer dissolving, the top. Exactly. And, and then the direction can change, and you can dissolve, instead of just going down and out, you can go up and out, or forward and out, or back and out. Right? The, 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 the you know, the, the direction can shift. That That's mm. sort of a, so typically, once you've done all a lot of downward dissolving, now you just do the opposite and do upward dissolving to finish well, out that type of training. There's Wouldn't a few steps in between you because you want to make sure that the channels are clear before you start going up. Upward dissolving is different from you know bringing your energy up your body. Right? Mm, Those are slightly different. Slightly things. different. The upward dissolving is clearing the path for bringing energy up your body so those are two distinct steps right in this case we're just discussing dissolving so you're doing that downward dissolving you're doing upward dissolving but it does still doesn't mention anything about actual using your mind to move the energy through those channels right so you can dissolve upward but be dropping your energy right and that's the kind of the, 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 the intermediate phase between mm. energy gates and spiraling energy body is that you can do that thing of you're, you're essentially dropping down internally, but you can make the dissolving, you know, go any direction you want, but really up and down. Or the so to fully <laughs> attain energy gates, you can dissolve down, up, out, left, right, whatever. Yeah, like for example, one of the things that a lot of people get confused about is well what do you do when you're laying down hmm. how to because heads all like this right, or like this right because is it is it head to foot or is it heaven to earth right right 
and that kind of thing. So we, technically, when you're laying down and you're going top to bottom, you you're going there. you're going from f- front to back. So you're saying with like your nipples and your chest right. down to your shoulder blades, uh, which is a but, and it would be all, but uh, would also kneecaps, at the same yeah. time be your kneecaps to you know, and so and the tips of your toes, right? And the tip so of your the nose. the surface area is kind of flattened right. like out, like a sheet right? laying across the top yeah. of your body. You dissolve. So those body. kinds of things, and you know. There isn't, I don't think there's a right or wrong way to do it, but you just kind of get that, like, they are different, you know. Right. And that once your mind can kind of do that without getting, you know, worked up. So typically once you've done a bunch of standing, dissolving, then you move on to spiraling energy body where you begin to dissolve upward as one of the first steps. That's the first practice. The very first step, which is technically not necessarily spiraling anything at all. It's just dissolving mm-hmm. upward is the first skill you learn within Again, the Again, it's clearing the path, right? Mm-hmm. So you finish the job of clearing once, the path. Once you've dissolved upward, then you can, quote unquote, bring your energy up your body to do X, Y, and Z. Well, it just reminds me of how in opening the energy gates, the actual act of dissolving downward causes an energetic effect. Similarly, once you dissolve upwards, it your body itself just starts to pull the energy up a little bit on its own, even without your mind helping, kind of. You know, the dissolving sort of draws it like a... Well, that's where you... I mean, like I a fishing lure, you know? It just it comes after it. The somehow. energy's there already, right? Yeah. And it's really just a more accurate way of saying it is all of this is you're not creating anything. You're, you're just feeling what's there. Right. And you're tapping into it and you're um, maybe... Uh, emphasizing something or, or focusing on something, but you're not making energy go up your body. Right. Energy's moving up through your body right. constantly. All you're doing with this is sort of refining how it moves mm. through your body and, and then, you know, kind Unkinking of... Unkinking it a yeah, little bit kind so of flows on its own. Later then you kind of learn how to tweak it. Right. And, and use it along with your physical body. Mm. But it's still, you know... Um, you know, the energy's there. It's just a question of, you know, your ability to feel it. What's your experience of it, kind of? Yeah, I mean, it's sort of. And like, you can involve your mind to make it make it feel stronger. It's like than a, it you is know, if you want. Yeah, it's a muscle, right? I mean, just like a physical muscle, you have to, you know, work it in order for it to get better, right? So, like, you know, the muscle that you use to feel your body and relax is. You know, it takes apply it to yeah, this instead. It just takes practice, right? You know, or you could apply it to opening and closing, or you could apply it to moving energy, or you could apply it to bending and stretching right, the those spine. Are, those right. are all just ways or, to use the attention. Yeah, those are other negongs, right? So another one of the negongs that goes with this dissolving process is what he calls external dissolving, where well, you do outer dissolving, but somehow away from yourself, bit by bit, further and further away. So if you go if you go back to the outer dissolving, the first thing you do right is you start at the top of your head and you move down. So you're or above your head and you slightly move, above, yeah. And you move down. So that's kind of getting a little bit of that um, etheric field to move downward, right? The spiraling energy body thing is that you now begin to once you can. Okay, this is after you've cleared everything out. I want to emphasize that, that you don't start by doing this. But when things start to come up, you, um, you know, you've dissolved ahead of it. And, and so the energy kind of will just follow it 
because the space is clear now, right? right? So it's like you, it's it's the best analogy is plumbing, right? That um, if you make water go down one pipe that's connected to another pipe, it'll go up the other pipe, right? right. Sort with of enough the, pressure, with it'll enough rise pressure, up right? the other side. And that's basically what you're doing is that the downward pressure of the dissolving eventually just causes enough energy to, to make it rise right, back to up. naturally rise up. And, and, you know, so the, the work that you have to do so that that rising energy doesn't fuck you up is really what we're talking about. Cause that's the upward dissolving is it's, it's the thing that keeps that rising energy from, you know, overloading your system. Once you can do that, then that can just continue and go beyond your skin out to that space around you. And you do things like, uh, dissolve other people's fields. Right? So basically anything from your way chi out to the universe around you, that's the topic of external dissolving, including the people and the qigong pretty much stops with what you do with your body and your chi and a little bit of your emotions. It doesn't go into the psychic realm and all of that. Stuff. It has like a passive effect on it. Sure, but, everything affects everything. But but the work that you're doing in energy gates and spiraling energy body, all that stuff is really focused on just those first two and a half bodies. The the physical body, the energy, the energy body. that keeps the physical body healthy and a little bit of how the physical body and its energy affects your emotions. Right, how they're right. tied together. Um, because, you know, it, it's the thing of if your body hurts, you generally aren't in a good mood. No. Right, so, you know, somebody keeps poking you. Makes if your you, body's all juiced up and feels great, your emotions go up too. And you feel they like, have a better chance of being, right? you know, positive, right? So that's kind of the... the passive effect but so the most obvious way to use external dissolving would be to dissolve your own connections to other people and to the other i guess realms of the universe like starting with one foot away from yourself and going from there like where would that kind of trend i mean begin? the the best explanation of it i got came from a new yorker who described it as his experience of it sitting on a subway which is first when you learn dissolving, you're just able to dissolve your own body when you're sitting there on the subway so everybody else's shit doesn't affect Stick you. To you. <laughs> right? You sit there long enough, you get comfortable enough in your own body, i.e. you can dissolve. Then you start to being able to feel the guy next to you. And, you know, and he's all, and, and you can dissolve enough that your energy Influences. kind of will influence the people very close to you, right? That's that first layer of sort of influence, which mm. is, you know. Foot or um, two on each side. And, and before people start thinking we're talking about something really esoteric, this is just the difference between if somebody's across the room, you yelling at you, and they're right in your face. Right. When someone gets in your face, you feel it on a visceral level. You feel and, that energy, yeah, man. And, and so that's all, you know, that's all this stuff is talking about. They, you know, they give it fancy names like etheric field, but it's really just, you know, talking about the distance between you and the other person right. or other thing. So this first energy body that we're talking about that ends a couple inches from your skin. 
The second one, which is the one you're talking about with going outside yourself, ends maybe three feet from you. Maybe maybe a little more if you're, you know, depending on up. how exuberant your own right. But it doesn't is. go for miles and miles and miles, right? Somebody can just walk away from you, and that your your energy won't have that much effect on them, right? Right. The further they get, it just boom. Yeah. Gone. So that's that's what the training in this is, and it has a lot of applicable things with body work and with martial arts. Uh, and with, you know, therapy or anything where you're going to be yeah. interacting with another person because you can learn how to mitigate or stop their energy from affecting yours. Right. And that's kind of a useful skill. And the final thing would be inner dissolving. That's outside the realm of either right. spiraling so or... inner dissolving, if you go back to, you know, the, the eight bodies, right... Once you get to the third body, which is the emotions, you it's more efficient to use a slightly different method of dissolving, right? It's not better, it's just slightly more efficient. So you could do it with the outer dissolving. It just would take longer and wouldn't kind of go in as deep. So what it is, is instead of dissolving away from you, out into the ether and having the, you know, energy around you clear things out and then bring that back into you, you're going inside yourself to the point inside of you that connects to everything else and you're linking to that. So the idea is that there is as much space inside of my body as there is in the entire universe, right? I can go into myself as far as I can go out into the universe. And this is where you now are moving into what uh, our school refers to as meditation, right? So the, 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 the line between Nagong and, and Nadan, as a, you know, internal alchemy, is you, you, you sort of leave the physical stuff in the physical realm and now you move into this the energetic the mental the psychic the you know blah, blah, all the other eight bodies and so um that's kind of taking it to this more spiritual realm of things as opposed to just get your physical body and your, your energy, energy and your, yeah. yeah so that's you know that part of it which we haven't talked as much about but you know when we talk about Leo Hong Jay's meditation, the main, you know, technique Tool. of yeah. his meditation is that quote unquote inner dissolving. We'll talk about that in the future. All right, man. Nice to be here in person again. Good to see you. <laughs> All right. Hey, folks. Isaac here again. Uh, thanks for listening. Uh, check out our Instagram for images relating to the episodes. Check out the Patreon for uh, lessons, uh, interviews. Uh, discussions on things that we didn't get to in the podcast and a whole bunch more. Uh, There's a link to it in the description. Again, thanks for listening and take care.